This week on the podcast, I've got Casey Liss, who uh, his voice has been in my ear for a long time from ATP and has started on a new path himself doing uh, YouTube. So we're co-creators. Hello. How are you? So good. I'm really glad you could uh, join me today. You're on one of my videos at one point, but I feel like getting you on a microphone and a podcast is your uh, it's where you thrive. It's what you've done the most of, right? Yeah, I, I feel like this is my natural habitat. And what frustrates me so deeply about you, Tyler, is that you're good at everything. And so I can't even tell what you consider <laughs> your natural habitat to be. Is it this? Is it video? Is it photography? Is it all of the thi- all of the things? When I started podcasting, they were both like video podcasts were a big thing. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I never, I never actually consumed any of them, but I am familiar with what you speak. And I don't know. I think the thing that I love so much about podcasts is that it can fill space, you know, and mm. there's been some conversation about this. Um, I don't know if you listen to Hello Internet or, you know, watch or follow CGP Gray's work. There's been some conversation about how healthy that is. But one of the things I do like is that if I'm just standing by myself at the sink washing dishes, I can pop in an AirPod and listen to you or listen to Merlin or whomever. And so, uh, yeah, I, I love that podcasts can fill space. Although, obviously, as you said earlier, I've been exploring video in my own way, and I, and I think we'll probably end up talking about that later. Well, yeah, actually, I, I, I almost want to do the very first thing we talk about is a little bit of the podcast YouTube crossover. Sure. Because it's been a thing. I, I've been thinking about it and talking about it on the show a bunch for uh, a, a while now, and how much it frustrates me that there's less interaction between those worlds. Because mm-hmm. to me, always my best source of information is podcasts. I feel like that's where there's the most depth in the analysis and people you know, really take their time to think about it because it's long format. And there's a lot of smart journalists working in that area. And yeah, like the people you name are great, you know, uh, Mike and Jason do great coverage on Upgrade and you guys on ATP and Gruber. And like, there's so many people that dive really deep into the topic. And then on YouTube, there's like, a, it's a really different way of covering it. But it's for one, it's bigger, like numbers wise, you know, there's more, more people go to YouTube. But it's also often shallower because the format's shorter, right? So in 10 minutes, you're not able to go nearly as deep into any topic, and you're probably talking to a wider audience a lot of the time. And that I often find that like on podcasts, podcasters don't know who the big YouTubers are. And I never hear YouTubers referencing podcasts that they heard. It just feels like the worlds don't really mesh. And I think it's weird because they're very natural to you know cohabitate. So I'm 36 years old, and I haven't felt older recently than maybe it was a year ago. It was a little while ago now, but some YouTuber I'd never heard of made this big splash. And I can't remember what the story was that he was doing, but it was some YouTuber with a funny name. It was MKBHD. And I had no idea who this fellow was. And, and of course we brought this up in the podcast and we're three old dudes. And so we were like, yeah, some, some MKBHD guy, I guess he's popular said this, that, and the other thing. And of course we got lit up and justifiably so, because it turns out MKBHD is not only extremely popular, but for good reason, because he's really freaking good. And so I felt so ignorant after the fact. And again, it was deserved because I just had no idea about that world. And I've I've been trying to dip into YouTube both as a creator and a consumer. And the problem I have with it from both points of view is that it just it it, it has to be more deliberate and it takes so much more time. Like I feel like even if I'm consuming YouTube content, it takes more time because that's the only thing I'm doing at that moment. I mean, maybe other people can multitask better than I can, but when I'm watching a video, I have to be like really kind of watching the video. Whereas 
maybe it's from years of training from consuming podcasts, but I can do other things while listening to a podcast. And and so I'm trying to expose myself to YouTube a lot more, both from the consumption and, and creation points of view. Yeah, we're almost the same age. I'm 34. And I was in a similar boat. Like to me for a long time, YouTube was the place that I search for something really specific, right? Like I want to see a product in yep, use. Yep. So I go out and, and seek out a video of that product or about the topic on my mind. I use it kind of like Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at some point I, I started realizing that it is treated much more like a social network to younger people. Like I think it's just, it is an age thing. I think basically right now people under 20 treat it like it's all a social network and they are interacting with people that they follow with their friends and, and the comment sections are really active and they're all talking a lot and, and it's all about following a personality and older people like us treat it like TV. You know, it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something you just, you watch occasionally, but you don't get so attached to the personalities and it's just this like perspective of it. So I started making an effort to under to, to use it more the way I use Instagram. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. That's basically how I thought of it and just follow people and come back to the same people. And once you do, then you, you can, you can, you get the value of it eventually, but there's so much value in both. I think, I mean, and so by creating stuff, what I've really found the value in is that you, the audience is so much more accessible on YouTube on podcasts. It's every, everything's buried, right? Like there's this kind of layer that podcasts hide behind um, because somebody needs to tell you a show is great basically. So yeah, the circle of shows that, that you're referring to and that you're a part of, I know my favorite shows because they refer to each other, let's say, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because Mer Merlin tells me to listen to the Flophouse, so then I have a new favorite comedy show. But that's <laughs> that's how you find it, right? Like, you don't find it by searching yep. for funny movie podcast or or whatever. And I mean, it's also tough because when you want to consume you YouTube content, you go to the same place that manages. Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it, it's the YouTube website itself that's showing you, you know, here's what you would also be interested in, where by comparison, the only real centralized podcast, quote unquote, network or listing, if you will, is iTunes. And hmm. no one in their right mind is going to iTunes and saying, hmm, I would like to browse podcasts today. Like, that's just not something that happens. And so... Typically, the story I've heard is like, oh, I started listening to, to, to the talk show because of Daring Fireball, which is John Gruber's um, Apple blog, the talk show being his podcast. And then he brought up ATP and then you brought up Upgrade and then Upgrade exactly, brought up yeah. Connected. And, and it's just this like chain from there, which is great and wonderful. I'm not trying to disparage it, but you can't just go to the equivalent of YouTube and just kind of like follow your nose nearly as easily as you can on YouTube where you're just clicking through suggested videos. Next thing you know, it's three days later. Well, it's a big challenge for creators, too, because somebody like MKBHD couldn't have broken, th not couldn't, but would have had many more issues to break through in the podcast world because, you know, he's super young. He wasn't connected to another circle of podcasters, and so he would have just been creating out in the wilderness. But now, because of the discoverability of YouTube, has been you know able to build something really big. But I also think there's something to what CGP Gray's been talking about, that the ease of listening of podcasts, like the fact that you can kind of just keep it in your ear, especially with AirPods now, you can just be like wandering around all day with them in your ear. Mm -hmm. It can become this, it, yeah, I, well, now I'm just like diving and I'm doing what we're talking about of like just referring to other shows. So then Mike was responding <laughs> to this on, on Upgrade, I think, saying that... Um, on Cortex. The, uh, oh, it was on Cortex, yeah. 
podcasts were kind of being unfairly attacked. But what, what I think does end up happening is because it's so easy to listen for hours and hours at a time, it can start to replace socialization a bit. Like you feel like, yeah, I just hung out with my friends. And that's a nice feeling personally, but it can also become a bit of a replacement for actually socializing a bit more. Mm-hmm. It's like you feel like you already did the work of socializing without talking to anybody. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's exactly right. It's it, it's it's a funny thing. And and it's something that I think I was already slightly conscious of, but, but CGP Gray talking about it. And he has a great video, speaking of the crossover between podcast and video. Um, there's a great video on, I think it's his CGP Gray 2 channel. So it's kind of like ancillary channel uh, where he talks about this. Yeah, or in the show notes. And it's worth watching that video. Obviously, as someone who both loves podcasts and makes my living predominantly through podcasting, I have conflicted opinions about it and I am very biased, but it is worth watching. And and the episode of Cortex where Mike and Gray, uh, Mike Hurley being uh, one of the co-founders of Relay FM, which is a podcast network that that one of my podcasts is on and many of the shows that we've just discussed, uh, on Cortex, he and, and Gray went back and forth about it. And I thought it was a very fascinating conversation if you have the if you have the interest in it. But it's something I've been conscious of, and and I try to run in the mornings, you know, th- about three times a week. And for a while, I would I would listen to podcasts while I ran, and then for reasons that are uninteresting, I stopped listening to podcasts while I was running and listened to music instead. And then the newest version of Overcast, which is my preferred uh, podcast pl- uh, client, uh, when that came out with Apple Watch support, because I run with only an Apple Watch and AirPods, I thought, oh, great, I can finally listen to podcasts again. But then it was around the same time that the CGP Gray stuff was happening, and I don't remember if it was before or after that, but one way or another, I thought to myself, you know what? I need to let myself just kind of breathe, if you will. And I'm just going to keep listening to music when I run and just let my mind wander because for better or worse, I don't have a lot of other time during the day when I do that, just let my mind kind of go free. And it's probably for the best that I keep that time sacred. Yeah, that is always the time that I have probably my most interesting ideas are on road trips. Mm -hmm. Like if I can be stuck in a car for 10 hours at a time and I start getting a little antsy. Like I want to, I want to get out and I want to do something. That's when I think of things when I can't do anything. (laughs) I mean, I I also found, um, I'm just like taking, I'm moving the second half of the show to the front of the show. We'll, we'll get to iPhones really soon. Um, but so I found the same experience working at a, a jobby job that that's when I had the most ideas of what I'd want to create. And once I became freelance, that's when I would start to feel a little like, what am I going to do now that I have time and I have to create something and nobody's yep. forcing me to? The pr- once the pressure is on, it feels different than when you can't do it, then you feel like you need to do it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And, and if your listeners are not familiar with my kind of life story, um, I am, well, was, I don't know, something. I don't know what, <laughs> what part of speech to use here. But up until uh, about the summertime, I was an iOS developer for a tradition, you know, for a company uh, where I live in Richmond, Virginia, and, you know, was living the very normal life and just doing the podcasting stuff, uh, you know, on the side. But as it turned out, the podcasting stuff was more lucrative than my regular job. And so I thought to myself, you know, we have two young children at home. And I don't know how long this podcasting gravy train is going to last. But while it's still here, while I'm still on board, why don't I try to go independent and be able to spend time with my ch- my wife and children? And, you know, I can always get another job, but I can't always have m- my four-year-old before, you know? And so uh, since the summertime, I've been, I guess, a creator. And that 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 term is kind of 
I don't know, it, it has some baggage these days, which where who was talking about that recently? There was some podcast I was listening to where they were talking, oh, it's Hello Internet, again, with CGP Grey, where they were talking about that. But, uh, you know, been, I guess I'm just a creator now. Just a creator. See, I'm already disparaging it. <laughs> just. <laughs> Subconsciously. But you know what I mean? Like it, So anyway, the, the point I'm driving at is now that I have a lot more time to create, I feel like, not that the creative well is dr- run dry, far from it, but it's exactly what you said, Tyler, that that when I was working a traditional job for a living, I had a thousand things that, of course, I never wrote down that I wanted to do, be it my own iPhone apps or my own videos or my own podcast or whatever the case may be. And now that I have the time to do it, I am both underwhelmed with ideas and overwhelmed with burden in a way, because I feel like so much of it I want to do and so much of it I want to do well, but to do so it's just it takes a lot of time and and my journey on youtube has shown me that you know i do like once a month if i'm lucky i'll do a 10 to 15 minute video which i think you could probably fart out in about 20 minutes but for me it takes like a week and a half of editing and like a week of production in order to do and i'll get better with that over time but it's 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 oppressive maybe isn't the word i'm looking for but it's it's a it's it's a lot of weight that I'm choosing to bring on my shoulders. And to be clear, I'm extremely lucky to be able to make this choice. I'm not complaining about it as much as I'm just observating or observing that that it's it's a lot heavier than I would have expected it would be. Well, so I'm going to table all this now. And if you want to hear more about creating, then jump to the second half of the podcast, because I wanted to let that kind of fill up and let people um, and, and do the newsy-ish thing first. So uh, I want to dive way deeper into all of this stuff. And I also realized I blew right past Analog, which is your other podcast. I didn't mention that in the intro. Oh, no, no worries. So, yeah, we'll start off talking about the excuse for why I invited you here, which is to talk <laughs> about the iPhone XR. And then we'll we'll get way more into, into making stuff, into just being a creator. <laughs> just being a creator. Exactly right. Uh, no, that sounds great. And, you know, I am... I, so, I've been making this joke repeatedly because it's both true and funny. Uh, I am so annoyed at you right now because I have been doing this Apple beat since early 2013. Um, I think it was April 2013 that we really embraced uh, the XML Tech Pod- Podcast ATP as, as a thing. And so you could argue for five years now, I have been covering Apple as a journalist of sorts. And I have yet to hear any real acknowledgement from anyone at Apple that that any any PR person, I should say, at Apple that we exist. <laughs> and yet you get to saunter in yeah, here, yeah. sir, and get your fancy briefing with your fancy iPhone XR. So I am both extremely excited for you. I really honestly am and deeply jealous at the same time. So tell me, how did this come about? Like, what happened? Well, it's, I mean, the answer is that it's just frustrating consequence for anybody that that isn't me because you know i feel i feel very lucky for it to have happened as well like it um the the background of what we do or have been doing for the last few years is that um my my wife does blogging and instagramming and all that stuff which became most of our job for the last four years ish which uh so you know usually it's covering fashion and lifestyle stuff where we're shooting both for her blog, her Instagram, and then uh, working with magazines and, and real-world publications where she's sort of um, either either writing things for them or being a personality representing the things that we're talking about. And that became my avenue into Apple, is that she already had a relationship with them. And if you noticed, especially with the iPhone X, or, or maybe this even goes back to the Apple Watch being released, 
they started pushing heavier and heavier into wanting representation in the fashion and lifestyle world, mm. not mm-hmm. being treated like a, a tech first device. And I just happened to be kind of at that intersection. And, and, and so I, you know, that's what I, I've been thinking a lot about that as I build up what I'm doing more and more is that there's a lot of tech journalism that is better than what I'm ever going to do. You know, there's actual <laughs> journalists or uh, people that are developers and like really understand the technology like you guys. And I'm a bit, a bit of somewhere in between, you know, I've done development in the past. Uh, you know, it's not something that Syracuse would qualify as development because there's HTML and PHP and stuff. But um, I know how computers work. But then I also have worked in how do you describe the like more of a pop culture industry, which is fashion, like more of an aspirational world. And that's something that Apple wants to tie itself to more. So I'm trying to create a bit of a crossover there. And I I think that just kind of appealed to them. And, and yeah, like I say, there was already that existing relationship through my wife. So. so you got a call or an email or something to the most that you're willing to disclose that said, hey, if you want to come to some geographic location, presumably somewhere in America, at such and such a time, we will let you play with the, the iPhone XR for a few minutes. I mean, I can't say whether or not it's in America. <laughs> but it is, yeah. And, and yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. Um, and it, it looks like this is kind of their regular thing is to bring a bunch of YouTubers to their space and let people play with it. And it was nice because I, you know, I saw a few friends that I'd collaborated with. Uh, Sarah Dietschy was there when we walked in and uh, the Beckermans, which are the, uh, the twins that did, uh, they got like some of the early access to the iPhone 10 last year and uh, are doing it purely from a fashion perspective. So... If you watch their video, it's there is no technology talk at all. I mean, when they're getting their briefing, they're not concerned about how this phone works. Like, they are a normal person just using their phone. And I think Apple wants that voice out there. What do people that don't care at all about the specs <laughs> think about this new device? And I think that's totally fair. Like, th- that is how I make some of my purchase decisions. Like, um, what's a good example? I mean... My uh, the the website that I build, like using Squarespace, probably comes from sponsorships on podcasts that I already trust the person, and therefore, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I, you know, I don't need them to explain exactly how it works. I just need to know that I already trust them. I mean, actually, Marco's a good example. Marco builds trust with me and other listeners. Therefore, when he recommends a coffee machine. I know he already did the research, and I don't need him to explain to me exactly <laughs> how it works. Coffee. Yeah, he can just tell me that it's good, and you know. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so you walk into some place, which, uh, given I noticed or I could recognize some of the backdrop of your video, including three six eight. That was a very quiet Easter egg there. I was quite, <laughs> yeah. I was quite amused by. Yeah, you, know, you were somewhere in New York, and so you go and you walk in, and you see some of these other. Uh, I, I guess somewhat fashion, somewhat text, sometimes one, sometimes the other uh, bloggers and vloggers. And so you and your wife get to go in. Is it just the two of you or is it a whole group at the same time? Like, tell me, tell me about what the day was like. Yeah, it was. Um, well, it, w- it was it was running a little behind. So there's uh, but mostly it was just the two of us, uh, uh, basically, like there, there's a series of rooms. And so everybody is kind of getting shuttled off their own space so that they can have their own experience with the devices. And there's like, yeah, there's just a central area where we were all able to kind of chat before it actually started. But, uh, and yeah, so I mean, my wife, Anya was, uh, my cinematographer for the day. And so she was shooting everything, which was, uh, incredibly helpful, a lot easier than trying to do it all myself. (laughs) 
And yeah, they give us about a, you know, 15, 20 minute briefing of like, here's what the phone is. And it's all stuff that we already know. I mean, because I'm you know re- reading the news the moment it comes out. But right. uh, Apple definitely has a, a preference to tell their story themselves from their perspective. And I totally get why. It's just the, the framing of it. They want to be the, the freshest thing in your mind is their way of framing mm. some of these mm-hmm. features. I mean, for example, that you're walking into it thinking about the new liquid retina LCD, not about that it's just a new LCD, right? Like that, that sure. like the marketing terms are fresh in mind and that you're aware of all the best new things in, in their own terms. And I get that. But then what, what ended up happening that I didn't realize is that that briefing was part of our, our total time in there. So oh, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I walked out of, of having made that video feeling like, did we shoot, like, did we get enough? Like, I feel like we didn't shoot anything because it was, it was really not super long. Most of the time was like kind of that first, like getting, getting our hands on it and, and getting it explained, but actually shooting, um, not a lot of time. It was it was a bit of a rush. So uh, I have new plans. I would sh- next time I'm going to shoot a lot more slow motion, just so I have more footage. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you know it's funny you bring this up. So to kind of channel the little bit of perhaps the later end of our conversation, if we get to it, is you know so I've been doing these car reviews on YouTube, and generally speaking, the way it's worked is I'll get a car for a week, and it'll get dropped off on like a Friday morning, and then picked up the following Friday morning, and. I am terrible about having a plan of what to record when I have these cars. And what I should probably get into doing is spending a day or two just like driving them and get, and understanding them. And then a day of like storyboarding or something and then planning it out. And then two or three days, what or whatever is remaining and filming everything. And instead, what I basically do is film anytime I'm anywhere in the vicinity of the car. So I have enough to somehow make heads or tails of it later on. And I bring all this up to say, Having never done this particular sort of thing before, as far as I know, did you have like even a tentative plan of what to film or did you just go in there and just started rolling and hope that you could make something of it later? Oh, no. Yeah, I, I always try to make like a point form list. One of my favorite features about the notes app is when they added Mm -hmm. checklists that's when i suddenly Mm -hmm. started using it way more like now i'm in notes all the time and i stopped even experimenting with other note-taking apps because Mm -hmm. i'm just using it so much that i don't even question other stuff existing so like for example i've got a checklist here uh this is my iphone 10r uh i've got a list of sample photos these are all of the test photos for the camera I wanted to take. And it's, you know, standard photo, selfie, portrait, selfie, portrait, vertical video, horizontal video, selfie video, selfie, horizontal video. And then I had questions like, how does the lens figure out depth? What changed in the raw photo processing? Because they look different. Uh, And then I have like a shot. There's more of those. Then I have a shot list, uh, macro shots of the screen, portrait mode, like shooting portrait mode, shooting the LCD. I guess that kind of overlays with the other one. Uh, something to represent battery life, 3D touch, long press. Um, just like, here's all the things that I need to be represented in shots. And I go through and I check them off as I'm going. And yeah, I find the checklists incredibly helpful in walking out with something usable. And of course, like mm-hmm. in a rushed moment like that, I end up kind of blasting past the list because I don't have time to keep staring at my phone <laughs> and, and making sure it's okay. But it really helps in just structuring your mind before you walk into it and, and remembering what it is that you wanted to deal with before you're kind of in the in the heat of it. And I found that on videos that I don't organize some of that going into it, I, I find the video videos much weaker. I don't I don't know if people 
outside realize that that's the difference. But I know that it's that's those are the times that to me the video feels a bit more like fluff versus journalism or versus um, you know mm-hmm. re- really examining the product. I do the best job of that if I've written it all out ahead of time. So you kind of said a minute ago, a lot of that went by the wayside in the heat of the moment, though. Eaten, yeah, I, I, I ended up walking up <laughs> feeling like I missed half of what I needed, but you know, but but, it, but that it was the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So when you actually sat down on Final Cut Pro or whatever, then it ended up being okay. I mean, it's certainly the video. Like I say that as yeah. though I haven't watched the video. I've seen the video; it's great, and 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 it's it's so obvious to me how much better you are at doing this than I am. But be that as it may, it it, it didn't appear to me like it was a problem. But it's it's fascinating to hear kind of the behind the scenes or the director's commentary as to what you felt about it when it was all done. Well, when I sat down and started editing, I did feel like, oh no, I blew it. I didn't. I don't have enough. I, that mm-hmm. I, I for sure had like a, an hour of feeling like that. Uh, until it just started coming together. And uh, so, for example, though, I had a bunch of recordings of me talking with the camera, like with sort of with the phone in hand. So I was, I was talking on location and I found that the things I was saying didn't sync up well enough with what I had visual images of. Like it just, uh, it, didn't, yes. it didn't really mm-hmm. fit quite right. So I had to rewrite a script script that I recorded audio only of and played that under the B-roll. So I definitely had to completely restructure what I thought the video was going to be, but then it worked. So yeah, but I, I definitely had the feeling of, of that I was saving it from the fire and at the, at the last second it was somehow usable. <laughs> but I have the feeling all the time. I mean, most yeah. videos I create after I do my first rough edit, I feel like this is garbage and unusable. <laughs> See, I always feel like that with the first one, and hopefully I don't by the last one. It doesn't always work that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. So to, for a little bit of the kind of metadata around it, and then I'd like to interrogate you about the phone. Uh, so you, you said you had roughly an hour, give or take. Is that fair? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay, and then... When when the time was up, were you basically being in, in a very polite, I'm sure, way? But you were basically being shoved out the door and said, "No, no, no, you really got to rap." Or, or <laughs> yep, yep, you, no, that's exactly how okay. it went. Um, okay. You know, and and also, there's always, I'm sure, there's some amount of like that. It, you know, if I was MKBHD, I probably could have pushed a little harder for uh, for more time. But, <laughs> but he's a polite guy, so I sure. bet he didn't. Um, now, did you? I, I, it wasn't obvious to me. I, I feel like you got to keep some of the media that was recorded on these devices. Is that accurate? Or is any picture you took or video you took, did that have to stay on the phone? Yeah, exactly. I was able to airdrop everything over at the end. And, okay. and that's different from what I've seen at the Apple keynote events, when everybody gets, which mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. done one of those. But um, everything I've seen is that nobody's able to send the photos to themselves, I don't think. I, I believe that is correct, that any yeah. media that is captured has to be with a device that you walked into the room with. And yeah. and it seems like, yeah, taking photos on the devices and then, and like you said, airdropping them or otherwise moving them to your own device, it, it seems to be forbidden. And the other thing is, uh, and may, actually, I guess there's a question here, which I didn't even realize I should ask, but at the events that happen at Apple, for example, it, or, you know, Apple uh, in Cupertino, my impression is, is that you are watched like a hawk the entire time you're yeah. there. Do you feel like that was the same for you, or do you feel like they kind of gave you some space to do your thing? Um, yeah, I think it's it's a little bit looser. It's not quite as in- intense pressure. And, and it also really feels like at those other events that you're just fighting to uh, breathe with the amount of other people. Sure. It looks like everybody's mm-hmm. trying to shoot the exact same device as well. Like that, I mean, it seems like it would be, that would be really hard to walk away with enough footage from. 
um, seems really challenging, especially people that talk on the show floor. I was rewatching um, The Verge's coverage of it the other day. Uh, and yeah, Neelai completely does all of his talking on the floor. And that that would be so much more pressure. Like it was much more comfortable for me to go back to my hotel room <laughs> yeah. and get my ideas out. Um, yep, I totally hear you. So, okay, so any other kind of behind the scenes, inside baseball sort of stuff that you wanted to cover? Because otherwise, I think I'm I'm satiated now, and I'd like to interrogate you about the phone if you have nothing else. This episode is brought to you by Chronobie, makers of beautiful, exceptionally well designed connected watches. Now, if you watched my YouTube at all, I'm sure you've already seen these watches, but you really have to take a look at them because part of the point is that they don't just have a long list of smart features; they actually look incredibly good. Like you can wear these watches with a suit. You can wear these watches with literally anything in your closet because it just looks like a real watch and it's built like a real watch. Earlier this year, I had a chance to tour their design facilities in Sweden. And honestly, they're just going for the absolute top quality. The choices of materials that they make, the leather in the bands, the metals that they select, it's all really premium. And like I said, they are still connected watches. So one of the features that I really enjoy is the way that you can have selective notifications on it. Basically, you can set different contacts to alert you in different ways. So for example, I have my wife as my primary notification. Anytime she texts me, I'll get uh, three buzzes on my wrist and I know that it's her that's texting me. And then if there's just a random text coming through, I can set it to just a single vibration. But I actually don't even do that. I only set a few select contacts so that my notifications are filtered. And I know that if my watch is telling me that something's going on, it's worth checking out. So go to chronobie.com to take a closer look at the watches and see all of the features that they offer. That's K-R-O-N-B-Y.com. And thank you again to Chronobie for supporting the podcast. So tell me about the photo. Like I've, again, I've watched the video. Listeners, if you haven't watched the video, it's under five minutes. It is absolutely worth your time. There's not a second wasted on it, which is, again, something I aspire to with my stuff. And I'm getting better at, but not quite there. Uh, it's worth watching. And in fact, I will even, since I can be so bold, tell you to pause this show if you haven't watched it yet and then come <laughs> back in four minutes and 37 seconds. But uh, even despite that, uh, sitting here now, now that you've digested for another couple of days, what do you think about these phones? By the way, I love the format of this show. It's so much easier when I don't have to think of all the uh, questions. This is incredibly <laughs> helpful. It turns out this is now the Stallman and List podcast. Oh, I love Breaking it. No, it makes it so much easier. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the, the phone overall, though, I can't tell what public perception really is about this phone yet because the comment section on YouTube is so skewed by... I don't want to call them trolls, but Android, sure. Um, commun- the Android community <laughs> is very vocal mm-hmm. about every little detail that you know Apple doesn't quite match up to in Android phones. So, from my perspective, going into that, this is going to be the big phone of the year. This is what everybody kind of should be buying, even if you love technology and you love your phone and you use your phone heavily. This really could be the phone for you, which I think. In the past, usually it was like, if you care about iPhones, buy the most expensive one, you know, it, yeah. other, other than the size, right? If, if Plus is too big, that's fine. You know, you can go for the smaller one, but typically it's like, get the new good one if you care. Uh, and if you don't care, you know, use the older one. That's, they still work fine. But this time, I think it's a really viable option for everyone. And, and the one biggest thing that would hold me back is... I'm curious if people would guess it correctly, but it's actually 3D touch. That's the one thing I would really, really miss because because I use it a lot, basically. Um, and, and the biggest one would be 
in the keyboard, actually, not being able to press in to, to navigate through the keys. Oh, no. Yeah. But I just heard last night, so on the talk show, they were saying that if you're on a non-3D touch device, you can, I think, the long, long press on the space bar, and that brings up... Yeah, actually, so I mean, hmm. I, I only have a, a, a 10S in my hand, so I can't test anything else. But even there, long press on a space bar, and you get your t- cursor navigation... So, yeah, maybe then it wouldn't be so bad if I relearned it. Maybe I would be fine. But I feel like 3D Touch has been a, a bit of a bust. Uh, do, do you use it? I don't know if I've heard you mention if it's an important feature for you. You know, it's one of those things that it's probably more important than I think it is. But I will say that I would tell you I like it and I would miss it. So I use it a lot um, on notifications when I want to like peek into a notification, but not necessarily yep, yep, clear yep. it. Um, I use it a lot if I'm on say Tweetbot or you know or Twitter client, and I want to look at a website and maybe I'm going to look deeper into that. And maybe I'm not. So it's kind of you know peek it as I th- as I believe the term Apple uses for it. So you 3D touch into a link, it brings up kind of a modal dialogue that shows you, hey, here's what you're about to dig into, and then you can push further into the phone if you'd like to commit. And say, yeah, yeah, okay, I want to see what's what's here. And I use that a fair bit. I do not use the app shortcuts. So on the home screen, you can like deep touch, 3D touch into an app in order to get shortcuts. So take, for example, Instagram, you can do the camera, a new post, view activity, uh, your direct uh, your direct messages on Instagram, and then all of them have share. I almost never use that, but I definitely use it a lot for Things like um, the the keyboard, you know, moving around the cursor is the number one thing for peeking at URLs. The other thing I use it for is occasionally um, in Control Center. So if you mash down on, say, the Wi-Fi icon, or I guess it's really mm, any yeah. of them in the upper left, then you can get a little bit more, uh, a few more toggles about different things. I feel like there's a couple other places I'm not thinking of. So I feel like I would absolutely miss 3D Touch. Is it a deal breaker? It's kind of what you said probably not a deal breaker, but it would bum me out not having it. Well, here's the best example of it is that while I'm shooting this video, um, I'm trying to demonstrate the long press uh, and Mm -hmm. I kept getting it wrong. I kept 3D touching it. I kept trying to press through it (laughs) and then it wouldn't do what I wanted. So I I actually kept screwing up my shots because I was doing it the way that I was used to. Now, it's so hard to tell how much that is just because it's my learned behavior and maybe I'd get used to it. Sure. Um, and yeah, so same as you, that I use it in very few places. Um, and I think it really has been massively underutilized. Like it could have been, I, th- I think a few people have said that it just should have always done what a long press does. Like the fact that mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. both has always been sort of strange and that it should have just been another way to do that same thing more quickly. Because it is a little faster than waiting the extra half second or whatever it is. But I think I'd have to live with this device, especially people that don't use 3D Touch as heavily as I do. I'm sure we'll have better things to say about it. Uh, but in my first few minutes, I, I instantly missed it a bit. That, But to say that that's the biggest thing that I'll miss from this phone is is pretty high praise, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a tremendous compliment. Yeah. And I also wonder, you know, I haven't really asked, like, my family what whether or not they use 3D Touch. Because it seems to me like it's somewhat of a nerdier, like more power user thing to do. So, you know, my wife is 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 a very avid iPhone user, but I don't know if she's really ever de- you know done that much with 3D Touch or my parents, for example. And I'll have to ask and, and kind of poll my family and see what they think. But 
I think this builds upon what you were saying, you know, early on when I first asked you about the phone, like for most people, I bet you this is probably the best phone for them because the things that you would miss probably don't matter. And I always feel like that comes across very dismissively. And I, and I hope it, it isn't because I don't mean it that way. It's just, you know, even I prefer OLED now that I've had it for the last year, but I don't think I would mind the LCD. And, the, and there's obviously a question there, which I'll ask you in a moment. But, you know, I, I would prefer 3D Touch and I think it would really bum me out not having it, like I said. But is it a deal breaker? Maybe not. So the thing to me, I think that's most interesting, like if I were to come th- come to this phone as a regular person instead of, you know, an Apple, you know, uh, pontificator, I think the thing that would actually be the most interesting to me would be the, the difference in size, because I already feel like my iPhone 10, I love it, but in a perfect world, I wish it was just a hint smaller. Like I, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that wants the iPhone SE anymore because that is just suffocating how little space it is. But man, we use one of the, we use an iPhone five as a noisemaker for my son. And every time I pick it up from a physical point of view, it is so much more comfortable than my phone. Mm-hmm. Now looking at it, it makes me sad because I can see like three lines of text, but and all that meandering, I guess what I'm really asking you is two different things. Number one, how was the LCD screen versus OLED? And then number two, how did you feel the size was as compared to a to a quote-unquote normal iPhone ten? Well, there was one thing I just didn't want to blow past before, while it was still in my mind is that uh, just based on surveying uh, my wife, anytime that she asks, like, where's, you know, where is this feature? And I tell her, oh, you have to press harder. She's like, oh, she oh, kind of yeah. rolls her eyes and like, because yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't feel natural to her. And um, I, I think that's probably relatively common that it's a weird thing mm-hmm. to try to do. So that's agreed. That's the feedback I've heard from, from people that don't use it as much. But uh, the screen, the size, uh, I think a lot of the size thing you're going to, everybody's going to have to pick it up and feel it for themselves because yep. that judgment can be so personal. Like one, th- one thing that somebody called me out on in the comments is I mentioned in the video, I'm like, it feels a little lighter than the 10, uh, the 10 S and somebody pulled up the spec sheet and they're like, it's actually a few grams uh, heavier. <laughs> and yep. I didn't, and I didn't <laughs> notice. I'm like, okay, well, obviously then you should pick this up for yourself because this is, I, and you know, maybe it's even that uh, it didn't have a case and my uh, 10S had a case. Maybe that was the difference. Oh, but. good point. Good point. I know also it, just having it spread out over that, I, I like, I understand that the science says it's heavier. Like, I get that. But there's some intangibility to the way it feels in hand. And perhaps just having that weight yeah, spread balance, out over more surface yeah, area like and the balance is a great, that's actually a much better summary. Yeah. The balance could be different enough that it may have felt lighter even if it wasn't. So I wouldn't discount the fact that it felt that way, even if there is no question that that the science says it was indeed heavier. Yeah, exactly. And then in terms of the screen, though, uh, like you said, between OLED and LCD, I do prefer OLED. I mean, actually, almost entirely for the blacks. The rest of the things about it, I find I don't notice. It's not that I can't perceive them. I can be aware of their existence. I can be aware of when the color is improved and I, you know, I can, I can focus in on it and, and feel how OLED, the ways that OLED is better, but I do not perceive it on a normal day. And when I pick up an LCD phone, uh, you know, sometimes like we still have iPhones sevens kicking around and I use them for testing and stuff. I don't see that difference when I pick it up and I need to be looking for it to spot it. And I think that most of the people complaining about this, especially like the resolution of this screen, 
are worried more about the numbers than about what it's actually like to use it. Um, so the, the, the most common complaint, if you haven't gone into the comment section of a YouTube video recently, is that <laughs> it, it, it won't play back true 1080. And that is technically true, but you, you, can, you can't see it. I mean, honestly, if you were to put this in a cardboard box, you couldn't tell what phone was inside and just show people sure. a bunch of different screens playing videos all these people complaining, like none of them would spot which one is the LCD that is slightly below 1080 because at that screen size, I mean, I remember when 1080 was just coming out as a TV format, people already then were saying, how big does your TV need to be to notice the difference between 720 and 1080? And, and, and that was when we're talking about like 20, 30 inches. And, you know, I know there's viewing distance and all this stuff, but um, I just don't think the difference is Im- very important. Um, I think it's relatively a marginal difference and getting that extra color and blackness advantage of OLED is, it's a bit of a luxury, you know, it's, it's to, to know that you've got the best possible image, but uh, yeah, honestly, the, the LCD looked great to me. This is one of those things where if you don't want to know about the arrow and the FedEx logo, just like skip forward. 20, 30 seconds and then come back to us. But Marco pointed this out to me on ATP. And the way he described it was if you look at the about screen in Overcast and like jiggle it and like scroll it back and forth, you can notice there's some ghosting in the icon. But the place I notice it the most is if I'm looking at like Tweetbot, for example, and I'm really slowly scrolling there's like a jitteriness and like just an ugliness that I don't recall ever really seeing on an LCD screen. And so I bring this up to say that if you don't mind having less black blacks, but want, you know, less ghosting and maybe a little bit better scrolling performance, you can make an argument that the LCD is actually an advantage. And for me, you know, I I think I'd still take OLED if, you know, I had to choose one or the other, but I've been kind of flirting with the idea of, man, is did I actually prefer LCDs back in the day <laughs> over this OLED setup? And, and I'm not sure. I think OLED is my preference still, but it's, it's a tough call. So yeah, I agree with you that nobody in their right mind would be able to discern the difference between, you know, 1080, true 1080 and, and the 1080 on the, on the 10R. And like I said, you know, the, the LCD may even be an advantage for some people. You know what I can really see and I would choose over either of these is ProMotion like in the iPad Pros, mm. that I can mm-hmm. always see. I can always see the smoothness of the scrolling and the way that animation plays back at 120. Um, and I, I w- that I would totally take, and I know that if you took it away, I would notice it. Um, I do notice it. Uh, and th- like, I, I, don't know. I, I, I know they would love to do that in their phones. I'm, not, I'm surprised that they haven't been able to pr- integrate it more quickly, but um, the OLED thing, less. It feels like less of a sacrifice. But uh, one thing I I have been noticing having the 10s for a little while now is the scratches on the screen. This this was a huge issue for me with the 10 and it didn't make it into my 10 review because it had only started happening by the time I had posted the review. But within a few months, I had a really dinged up 10 screen. Were you in the same position? Have you seen this with other people? Uh, Marco has talked about, a lot, uh, talked about this a lot with his. I can't say that I noticed it that much in mine. I think I have a few like hairline scratches, but I, I wouldn't say I have more than I'm used to. Yeah. But this, you are not the first person who have said this. And, and in fact, I have heard this from a lot of different people. Because it, it really did happen pretty quickly. And uh, they are just hairline. I mean, they're very small, just you know, micro abrasions or whatever. Um, but I, I was starting... I did I was able to see a few of them when I first 
had the 10 in my first like week or so. And the 10S is not doing that at all. Um, when they say that they've made the strongest glass ever, I, I know they said that last time and then we ended up with scratches. <laughs> Whatever they changed is the is in the right direction for me. It feels like these mm-hmm. these scratches are not happening. That doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. And I did ask, and it is the exact same glass on the 10R as well. So that's a big thumbs up. I'm I'm really glad about where they went in that direction. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's always going to be an improvement no matter what. And especially now that the 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 backs are glass as well. And I don't know off the top of my head if it's the same glass, but I would assume it is. You know, anything that is more scratch and and you know uh, shatter resistant is going to be a benefit. So we we talked about the screen. We talked about the size. Another thing that I think is genuinely compelling about the 10R. And in fact, the more I talk to you, the more I think that, or the more I'm convincing what I already suspected, convincing myself what I already suspected, which is exactly what you said at the opening of the show, which is that the 10R is, is probably the phone for everyone and perhaps even the most interesting phone of the, of the three that were released this year. But another reason that you may choose the 10R over a 10S or 10S Max is color. And I have always been a black iPhone kind of person. I have never wavered from that. Some of these colors, at least the way they photograph, look really good. So, can you kind of tell me about that? Like, what well, you said you preferred the product is a product or project red? I always get it wrong. Yeah, product red, yeah, is product that right? Red, yeah. I really wish I'd asked more about their case strategy for these because, so with my 10s, this this is the first time I've really ended up being able to appreciate the color of my phone because you know I always throw it under a case. Mm-hmm pretty much right away. And then I don't see the color again until I (laughs) sell my phone. But what I've really loved on this one is that I have the gold 10S and then I have the like tan leather case, like the Apple case. So the way that the Apple case works is there's a big cutout at the bottom and I can always see the gold and tan together. And that Ah, is really Mm -hmm. nice. Like they, they absolutely complement each other. And I've, so it's the first time that there's been this feeling of like a pairing between the iPhone color and the case color. And when they did the 5C, they absolutely paired the cases with the phones as well. They had the holes in the back, like the kind of cheese-looking case design, if you remember those, similar to the Nike bands. And the colors, you were encouraged to, like, mix and match them. And, um, you know, I I think it was kind of mixed results on whether or not people liked that design. But the intention of having colors that are meant to go with the phones, I think, worked out. That idea was a good idea. And I, I hope they go ahead with that more because, okay, yeah, in, into the colors of the case, uh, phones, they were awesome. Like, it, I, I really like the way that they look in person. It's sort of strange that they have this duotone look because uh, the way Apple talks about it, they're like, yeah, we matched the metal. Like, we anodized it to match the glass on the back. And you look at them and you're like, but they don't they don't match. Like, they're, they are all a little bit different. Like, the blue <laughs> is different from the blue on the back. Um, and, but, you know, which is fine. I don't think it makes it look any worse. I, but they, they do have different tones to them. And, yeah, whether or not, whichever one you're going to like is completely up to. I, I, me saying red's my favorite is, is is almost kind of boring. Like, okay, red's like the easiest color after <laughs> black. <laughs> but uh, right, right, right. I, so in the end, it wouldn't influence my decision a lot because I honestly do hide my phone. So that is a personality thing that I think it depends on on who you are and if you're going to go caseless or put it in a clear case even. But one thing I love is that now we have all black fronts to the uh, phones. Mm -hmm. This was something, I, I did a video actually way back with the product red iPhone 7 had the the white front to the to the phone, which really 
drove me crazy. And now we finally have the mix of like <laughs> black, black front, red back. That's, that's a fantastic pairing. And as long as the bevels, I mean, imagine if we had white bevels, like, I don't know, it was always weird that the white faces were so popular to me, but I agree. Yeah. I, um, I think the colors are, are incredibly beautiful and it's so up to your personality, whether or not that becomes significant in your uh, purchase decision. Yeah. And to go back to what you were saying about, um, Apple breaking deeper and deeper into the fashion industry, I think that this is a really strong, well, I mean, I say this as though I know anything about fashion. I know nothing about fashion, but to my eyes, it seems like a strong play in that direction, right? Because it's not just literally black and white. You know, you actually have a small spectrum of colors available to you. And I know that, you know, on the scale that that Apple operates, they can't offer infinite colors or anything like that. But to me, I think it's great that they're starting to bring back colors on iPhones because even though, yeah, you're exactly right, most people put them in cases because, you know, we don't want to drop them and shatter them and so on and so forth. But but still, it's nice to at least have that option. And, you know, these colors, like the blue isn't just a standard navy blue. You know, it's mm-hmm. more of a, I, I don't have the vocabulary for it, but it's more of like a lighter blue. And And the coral, particularly, that's not a color that I find appealing in and of itself, but but it's a very different color than, you know, just red, green, blue, yellow, black. You know, it's not a primary color. So the coral could pass as orange for a lot of people. I think coral is the right name for it. That is the color. But it feels like orange, really. And I think, you know, especially if there's guys that are feeling like cor- coral may not be masculine enough for them or whatever. I mean, it, it's pretty mm-hmm. orange. Like, this is, it's a really nice color. It turned out better, better in person than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be less exciting to me, but it was really, it was quite nice. Especially pair it with a nice case. And uh, <laughs> um, it's something I've always wished since the iPod days is that you could just get them all and keep the colors together. Because they look... So much of it is the palette, right? Like, it's so nice when you see them all next to each other. It's really a shame that they don't offer the 10s in anything but black and white. Uh, or in gold, actually. I forgot about gold. It's, that's, gold is so not my thing with respect that it doesn't even register to me. But yes, I forgot about gold. And I, I, I like that there's there's at least some modicum of palette here. And I hope that that over time, the the flagship phones get a little more choice to them. And and even the 10R, I would love to see have more than, what is this, one, two, three, four, six colors. You know, it would be cool to have 10 even, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good sign. Jason Snell makes it really easy for me to remember how many colors there are of this phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Sorry, Jason. No, that's an excellent point. And so before we uh, start running out of time on the phone section, I want to make sure we get to the camera. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to, you know, actually, I got to go, Tyler, because I don't want to hear about this because <laughs> oh, no. I have not yet bought a new phone. <laughs> no, I, I actually am, all kidding aside, very interested in this, both in terms of the improvements over my 10, because at first, you know, this has been covered a lot, so I'll give the, the very brief summary. Everyone was told from the keynote that, oh, yeah, it's a better camera, but not much more than that. And then the the initial review units got seeded to the Jason Snells and John Gruber's of the world. And suddenly they were all coming back to us and saying, no, you really, th- these are like, holy smokes, better cameras. And so I'm still rocking my year old iPhone 10. But the more I hear from people, even, you know, just amateur photographers, much less, you know, I, I can personally consider you very much a professional. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard from amateur p- photographers that the camera's way better. I am both fascinated to hear your thoughts about the camera and then also your thoughts about going back to single lens in this particular context. Like, does did that work okay? And you kind of covered that in the video, but I'm curious to hear a little more thought on that. This is the weirdest thing about this announcement is how little 
Apple hyped this camera. Uh, you know, usually when it's a, m- only a moderate improvement and, you know, it's not a huge jump, they will still tell you how it's the best camera they've ever made and they'll show you beautiful examples yep, and yep. they'll get you excited about it. And for the last four or five years, we kind of got used to that didn't mean a huge jump, right? Like I, I was starting to feel like maybe the big jumps are behind us. Um, we're, we're not going to see that again like we did from the 3GS to the – or. Or was it from the 4 to the 4S? I don't remember the the bigger jump. Uh, but every year was a bigger jump back then. And things have definitely slowed down. And when they talked about it on stage, they didn't... I don't think they even told us that it was a new sensor or lens. So mm-hmm. it, it, it is completely different. I didn't hear about it till John Gerber started uh, ex- explaining that the sensor is 30% larger and the lens is wider because of that, two millimeters wider, which is noticeable. Like you, it's visible; you can see the difference. And I just, I thought it was so weird that they just kind of blew past that. This is the most new camera in years. It's, it's actually, it responds really differently to light, and like everything looks different from it. Like it's the first time that I could instantly spot, like in thumbnails, I can spot which ones are iPhone XS or iPhone XR photos uh, versus the the 10. And I've got, also got to say, 100% of that isn't all positive. There is something about the look that in certain conditions looks uh, weirder. Um, and I think that's what people have been calling like the beauty effect or beauty gate mm-hmm. is this reduced contrast in certain areas. And as somebody that filters my photos, like I, I always filter my photos before I post them. I'm never posting. I don't post much with no filter unless I'm demonstrating the camera. I don't really mind because I can always bring that contrast back to where I want. And that means that there's usually more detail left over. So uh, most filters that you add will usually add some contrast back into the image. And so if the blacks feel too lifted, too light, too too bright, which is what ends up happening a lot of the time, what this beauty look is, you add a filter and they come back down. They get more contrasty and they feel more natural and more real. So I don't end up really minding it that often. I think there's some people that the image straight out of camera will feel a little odd. Like it looks it looks different. It looks not like what they used to. And I, you know, for that you gotta like you gotta look at the examples. I can only say so much in words about how that is different. But as a photographer, as a professional, there is so much more detail being held in those shadows, and it means that I can I can adjust it to improve. Okay, put it this way: I can use those images and retain a ton of detail that I couldn't when they were already fully contrasty. You can't save that mm-hmm. detail afterwards. You can't bring it back out of the shadows. It has to be there in the first place, and then you can add the contrast that you want. And I, I posted a few examples of that on Insta, uh, sorry on Twitter. And you can really see it. There is way more color information and detail and just everything in the shadows. Um, I, I yeah, I've just been really impressed. And it took me about a week to realize all the ways that it was adding this extra information. And for anybody wanting wanting way more detail about this, Sebastian Dewitt, the developer of uh, Halide, was on the episode two episodes back, and uh, he talked a lot about the technical details of how this is happening and what they've found. Uh, as developers kind of tearing the camera API apart. Yeah, it's been interesting watching Apple not really flex 
verbally about the camera, as you had said earlier, but they're they're really making marked improvements. And the other thing that's been fascinating to watch is their Im- increased reliance on computational photography. And as an amateur photographer, it seems like Google's approach is rather than do as much with glass and sensors, let's just throw you know algorithms at it in order to get kind of the in order to get to where a better sensor and better glass would get us whereas apple with this what is it smart smart hdr is that right um, that's right yeah with, with 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 smart hdr it seems like apple's saying you know what we've got pretty decent glass and pretty decent sensors but couldn't we do better like what if we take a whole bunch of shots <laughs> yeah. at once and mash them together and make something better so that you could make an argument i think that something coming out of an iphone in certain context and certain you know lighting might be better than you know a full dslr because it's taking you know 40 shots maybe not literally 40 but like 15 or something 10 shots and just plucking out the pieces of each shot that work the best and so suddenly this phone uh, with glass is nowhere near as good as you know the dslr or whatever it was you were rocking to do the video but because of the algorithms behind it suddenly you could make an argument maybe better or at least as good as a DSLR in certain contexts. Of course, not always, but in certain places. I did some tests where I think there are situations that the video on this could look better than my big expensive cameras. So uh, Sebastian coming on the show is the first time that it was pointed out to me that it is not just doing smart HDR after you take the photo, but it's doing it full-time live. So they're even running into this as an issue developing Halide that they couldn't entirely tell uh, what the expo- the true exposure was because the signal they're receiving <laughs> is already smart yeah. HDR it already all that it's already combining the exposures on the fly at 60 frames a second so when you're taking video i can get i think i didn't finish these tests yet but i'm getting the impression that the iphone has more dynamic range in video than my sony camera does you know my like $3000 Sony with with nice glass on it. it. It just is able to retain more detail in both shadows and highlights in some cases. There's certain like ways that sometimes it doesn't. Um, but even, even with raw photos, comparing it to my uh, 5D Mark IV, I, was t- I took a few test photos in the exact same lighting conditions. And I think there is a little more detail uh, coming out of the iPhone um, just because oh, of the exposure. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like this isn't... I did not expect that to happen this year. And Apple, I mean, they created a marketing term called smart HDR, but they didn't tell us like, no, this really might beat your DSLR in certain situations. And it's limited. I mean, it's it's in the same way that, yeah, you guys were talking about on, on ATP, how like the benchmarks of one of the single, th- one of the single thread benchmarks on the new iPhones was a little bit faster than the iMac Pro, but it was mm-hmm. in very specific circumstances. And when you're doing it in certain ways and, uh, with certain optimizations, same situation here. Not all lighting is created equal. You, there's always going to be a little less detail at 100%. In video, there's a little more noise than on bigger cameras. But um, in some ways, it, it can look better. It's just, it's just so weird to me that we went in the last two or three years, whatever it's been, from trying to fake our way into big glass with you know portrait mode, which gives you the fake bokeh, to suddenly saying, okay, well, we're never going to have great glass, but in other ways, we can be at least as good, if not better, 
than a DSLR with, you know, like you said, a $3,000 DSLR with presumably like two or $3,000 worth of glass in front of it. It's just bananas to me that, that this little thing in my pocket, and like you said, not always in certain circumstances and certain setups can actually do something than even, you know, I, I happen to use a micro four thirds camera or a DSLR. If you happen to have one, like in certain circumstances, it might even be better. And it's not that we're just trying to catch up with portrait mode and get that fake bokeh. So it looks sort of like, you know, my micro four thirds, your DSLR. Now we're actually saying we're thumbing our nose at, at DSLRs and saying, no, 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 actually <laughs> we're going to throw algorithms at this and make it even better than you. It's yep. just wild. How often do you find you use the second lens now that you've had it for a year? Or no, you've had a long. Cause you, uh, did you have the plus before? I don't. I don't know. No, no, no. I was never. I never remember the uh, quote unquote plus club. I find that I very rarely use portrait mode, and that's in part. Actually, this is a perfect segue because one of the things I wanted to say to you was that it didn't occur to me until your video that portrait mode on the XR, the 10R, is the wide angle lens, which makes for wide angle portrait photos which is much nicer because half the time i go to take a portrait picture of usually my kids i'm too physically close to them and then i have to like physically back up in order to get the the telephoto lens in the position it needs to be in in order to take the portrait photo and so that's actually kind of frustrating and part of the reason why i don't use portrait mode that often and so i that was very astute of you and something i'd never thought about that the wide angle lens is doing that in the, in the 10r but to answer your question more directly I often will use the telephoto lens by, you know, tapping the 1x zoom icon on the photo app so it'll jump directly to 2x. But other than that, I, I don't knowingly use it much. You know, I don't use very many of the portrait effects or anything like that, although I do it from time to time. And I've taken like there's a photo I have on Instagram from not too long after I uh, got the camera and I'll, I'll put send you a link you can put in the show notes. But there was an example of me taking a photo of my son sitting on his power wheels that was done with portrait mode that to my eye looked really good, looked really, really, really good and and a very good faux bokeh. Mm-hmm. And, and not all of them are like that. Some of them are just straight trash. But this one to me looked really great. And so when it does work, portrait mode is just mind blowing. But more often than not, if I'm in a position where I have my, my micro four thirds with me and it's not either socially or physically awkward to use it, then I'll, I'll always reach for that before my iPhone. Yeah, I've seen the portrait mode look perfect. Like I've seen it look good enough that it, it, it sort of could fool me in a thumbnail. Mm-hmm. And um, so th- there's a lot of good to be said about it. I don't end up using it that often because, because I have bigger cameras. So that sort of skews me a little, right? Yep. I'm like, okay, well, if I want that look, I'll, I'll make it actually perfect. Yeah. So... <laughs> I, I, that's why I, do, I just don't end up, I don't end up using it that often, but I know that I'm I'm not in the typical situation. I mean, for most people, this will be the only way that they can get that blurry background. And that's, it, for them, it looks pretty great. Like it, it has the desired effect of bringing attention to the person. So, I mean, a, another new feature is the uh, adjustable aperture. And I was underwhelmed about it when I heard the announcement because I was like, oh, you could already do that in third-party apps, and I never ended up doing it, so how important is it really? The way that it's really useful is that you can turn down the bokeh almost all the way so that any of the errors, you can't really see them anymore. It brings all the attention away Mm. from any problems, but still gives Mm -hmm. you that sense of separation that the, the subject is not attached to the background. 
And that is actually great. I, I really like that effect, just turning the, the bokeh almost all the way down, down to like, so it's on like 10, 20%. Looked really great to me. I think I would use that more often now. And then, yeah, in terms of the, the wider bokeh, so on a, on a real camera, as you go wider, you get less depth of field, typically. Like a wide angle lens, it's mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. to make the background blurry. You have to be closer to the subject or your aperture needs to get uh, wider to like a smaller number. So it's it's interesting that now you can easily shoot a wide angle, shallow depth of field image. It's 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 pretty cool actually. I really like it. And that was one thing I liked a, a little bit more when I was testing the Google Pixel two. I don't have a three. A lot of people have been asking me what I think of the three. I, I don't have one, so I don't I don't think of the three. But um, that it was a little bit wider than the iPhone, and I always liked that. So now that the ten R can do it, I think that's pretty great. I don't understand why you can't do that on the ten S. I, I asked and didn't get a response really, uh, or, or you know, a little hand wavy enough that it's it's not worth mentioning. I mean, my assumption sure. is to avoid confusion. Basically, I think that the 10s, the quality of using both lenses, is better. It definitely isolates the subject better. Again, I'll refer back to the episode with Sebastian where he was explaining to me the way that the API sees the difference. Like it it gets two different kinds of depth map from each one and and they are different and there is much, much more quality in the dual lens separation. But um, you know, it still gets most of the way there with a single lens and I do like the wider better. All right. The only other thing I wanted to briefly ask about, and and then obviously if you have things that I didn't think to ask you, then please feel free. But uh, one of the things that I understood from early commentary about the 10R was that the bezel is a little bit thicker as compared to the OLED models because of the differences in, in LCD display technology and so on and so forth. Did you notice that much? Did did it feel different or was it no yeah. different to your eye? I, I, I knew this going into it. I mean, you can see it in the in all the photos. Like it's really it's clear. Mm-hmm. It, it is bigger. While I was in the room, I completely forgot about it. I didn't observe nice. it or think about it the whole time that I was with the phone. Um, so, yeah, you can see that it's bigger. I know that it's bigger. I, I Honestly, I completely did not notice it. I think if you owned this phone, the bezels would blend away. Um, it, it is it is a non-issue. I, I don't think anybody should be concerned about that. I mean, the only thing that it's kind of true that it's slightly a downside is like, okay, the phone's a little bigger without giving you that extra bit of screen size. Like, okay, you, 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 theoretically, if this was a no-lead, maybe you'd have a few, one extra millimeter on every side of screen. But mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't make my decision based on that. The, the bezels are not problematic. So in general, a really solid phone and oh, yeah. maybe not the budget phone that everyone's kind of painting it to be from what it sounds. Yeah, no. And I mean, the cost-wise, it, it's not a budget phone. Like I, Apple did such a sly job of adjusting prices or, or price expectations with the 10. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really, it was, it was very well handled that we are all calling. I mean, when I watched my video again and I kept saying the affordable iPhone, I'm like, wow, they got, they got me too because... <laughs> It's, right. <laughs> it's the same price as, as the uh, previous ones. Is it the same as the old Plus? I actually am forgetting right now. If it's the same as the old Plus or is the same as the old standard size? Do you, do you remember 750 I th- think the Plus was 800 ish but mm-hmm. I am terrible with remembering these sorts of random trivia items. So 
I, I might be wrong about that. But yeah, I think your point, at least in spirit, is fair that that the 10R is roughly the same as the plus phone was of years past or the smallest uh, memory plus phone. Yeah. And so I think what I was better at, uh, at explaining is that it really can be considered the flagship phone this year. Similar to how with the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus, that was a flagship phone. And then they also had the 10. Again, like the 10S and the 10S Max, it's almost like they are creating like a premium, slightly luxury market above flagship. And I think the the R can be everybody's phone. This can be what everybody's looking at unless you, you, you have the money or you are passionate about technology in your phone or, or cameras and you just you, you need to have the best. Um, but for everyone else, uh, the 10R is great. That's awesome. And the, ex- the, the extra battery life, which, you know, I couldn't test in the time that I was in there, but that extra battery mm-hmm. life, like that, that could be a lot of people's reason to choose this phone. I mean, battery life matters and an hour and a half more than the eight plus is huge. Yeah, that is definitely significant. I've actually had extremely good experiences with my 10. Um, my, what was it? I guess it was my seven. I was starting to get battery anxiety by like early to mid afternoon every day. And my 10 has actually been pretty rock solid. I've been really happy with it. But if you, if you offered me more, I would always, always, always say yes. And so you make a great point that especially if you're a person who just lives on their phone Mm. an hour and a half is, it can be a, a make or break difference. And that's another great point. Yeah. So hopefully I'll have this phone soon ish. I've, I've, I've no idea. This is going to be a I'm waiting for a review unit from Apple. So it's not exactly up to me when I get to try it, but um, I really hope to report back with many more details. That is so awesome. And I am super excited for you as much as I've been giving you a hard time, pretty much anywhere I can do. No, so. do it. <laughs> I am super excited for you that you got the, uh, that you got the opportunity. And I think that you are extremely well suited to handle it uh, in pr- probably much better so than I. So, something, so uh, I am very glad for you. Something really relevant that CGP Greer was talking about. He, I mean, he's the, he's the not present personality in this episode, uh, but he's talking <laughs> about recently was the, uh, um, on hello internet that, as you kind of find success on uh, online, like so YouTube was his example of like YouTubers that are growing quickly that he's talked to, you have about a year where you can look around at big events happening to you or getting big opportunities and say like, this is so weird that this is happening to me. Like, I can't believe this is all happening to me. And after that, you kind of have to just accept it, even though it does feel weird to you because nobody wants to hear about it. So I'm going to say that I'm in that (laughs) year of like, wow, this is really weird and cool that like big new things are happening. And slightly, I mean, a surreal moment was uh, being on uh, Mac rumors. Like I've been reading Mac rumors my whole life. And then I was on the front page. It was, it was, it was really exciting to me. And uh, so I'm going to take, take my year of excitement and and run with it. (laughs) Well, no, you are, you are extremely well-deserving and, uh, and I'm very, very happy for you. And and I know we're not done yet, but I I do appreciate you having me on to, to to talk to talk to you about it because I I don't get to hear kind of the the director's cut you know inside baseball story about a lot of this stuff. So I'm glad that I finally got to uh, to ask you about it directly. Oh, my pleasure. Um, but now I want to ask you directly about uh, <laughs> the, the world of YouTube. Uh, you you're getting a, a pr- an interesting perspective of it that I I would love to hear more about because it's where a lot of people are is is starting mm-hmm. basically starting a new channel. My channel existed for quite a long time and I just didn't use it much and it, it was a very slow build. But you you really just jumped 
all in, start making, you know, full on well edited videos right away. And, uh, and you're doing, you're doing great from it right now. I mean, like, I, I don't know how you feel about like your numbers, for example, but they are excellent. I've got to say <laughs> uh, the production quality rapidly improved. One thing that I've thought w- was interesting is that listening to the critique on ATP about that, uh, John and Marco give you that t- mm-hmm. together your, your guys's knowledge is how to make like a hugely successful YouTube channel. Like they don't do YouTube, but they have great advice for you. Like they actually totally understand and and kind of spot the places you can improve. And then you've been responding to them. And it's been really interesting and exciting to see that uh, develop so quickly for you. How has it felt on your end? Uh, Magical, terrifying and awful (laughs) and wonderful all at the same time. So the the very brief backstory is I really didn't have any intention of doing any of this. And, you know, I've been looking at YouTube, as, as I had said earlier, you know, I've been looking at it more recently from a consumption point of view. And then through a series of random events that are not particularly interesting for the context of this conversation, I ended up with this relatively rare, rel- actually very expensive car that I was going to borrow for a week. It was a 2017 Alfa Romeo Quadrifoglio, which is, you know, this 80,000 American dollar um, sedan, hot rod sedan. And I had it for a week and ostensibly I just needed to like talk about it on the podcast and write about it. You know, that was kind of the obligation I had. But I thought, you know what? I've really wanted to, I've always loved talking about cars and reviewing cars. That's how I got my, my start in podcasting, actually, was talking to the ATP guys about cars. And then we eventually pivoted into nerd stuff because guess what? We're all nerds. But anyway, um, I thought, you know, let me take a crack at this. And, and on all of my podcasts, I never, ever do the editing. Like, I don't have Logic. I've never installed it. I've never bought it. I, I opened GarageBand like twice. So this was also a way to flex a creative muscle that I've never really flexed before and do some of this, you know, editing stuff that that all of you guys do, but for, by happenstance, I've never had to. And so I took a borrowed GoPro Hero 3 Plus, I think it was, from work. Uh, I took my iPhone 7 and I took a my AirPods as my microphone and I made a video. And it, given what I knew at the time and given the equipment constraints I had, I am very proud of it. That being said, it's a terrible video. <laughs> like, it's, it's not that It is so, it, well, I appreciate it. It's so clearly a first crack at something. Now I like to think that it's a decent first crack, but is it is very obviously a first crack. And so I did that in November of last year. I did another one of their, of uh, Alfa Romeo's um, SUV, the Stelvio. I did that in January and things got a little bit better. I had a different microphone this time. Um, I think the camera equipment was mostly the same. And then it wasn't until this past June that I did a review of a Volkswagen Golf R, which I actually ended up buying one uh, about a month ago. But for that, I had a Hero 6 Black. I had, um, I think for that, I might have had my new lavalier microphone, which is a Samson uh, Go Mobile, if I remember off the top of my head. And so the the Golf R is the first one that I feel is a reasonable representation of me. And that's what my one, two, third video. So I do feel like, and I am proud that I've ramped fairly quickly. You know, it's, I'm not saying that I don't have room to improve. I have so many things that I could do better, but I am not 
at all embarrassed about the golf R video. I would have made different choices if I were to do it again today, but I'm not embarrassed by it. Well, I shouldn't maybe embarrassed is the right word, but you know what I'm driving at where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed, but I'm not proud of it. Maybe it's a lack of pride of the other ones to some degree. And then I, uh, in September, I released a video on uh, the sister car of the Golf R, which is the uh, Volkswagen GTI. And that one I'm pretty happy with. I think I had a few places where I could have cut content a little more aggressively. But from a production standpoint, I'm pretty happy with it. I thought shots were varied. I thought the B-roll was good. Um, I thought the camera work by and large was fine. The audio was good. And so the last couple I'm, I'm really pleased with. And it's something that's been fascinating because... In some ways, well, actually, before I go on, before I do that, is there any questions or thoughts you had on the production side of things? Because I was going to start talking about kind of the breaking into YouTube side of things. Well, I was going to say just as somebody that's been, I mean, I've had my career in creating visual stuff for over a decade now. And that feeling of disliking old stuff or regretting content that you made or thinking (laughs) or being embarrassed by old work, that never goes away. I mean, even when you think that, look, I, I'm a professional now, like right now I'm, I'm getting paid for my work and I, I do this for a living. That work, you still will be embarrassed by it eventually yeah, in the yeah, future. Yeah. Given enough time, all your work uh, seems seems bad. And this, yeah. So, to, you know, don't take it personally. It's It's part of the process. Yep, absolutely. So the fascinating thing about breaking into YouTube, though, in 2018 is that, or 2017, 2018, is that I am both uniquely positioned to be able to shortcut my way to YouTube superstardom and also completely ill-equipped to get to YouTube superstardom. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that I have a relatively large audience thanks to you know, ATP and Analog and, and doing guest spots on shows like yours. And so I did bring with me an audience to my channel. But as you had said early in the show, a podcast audience, even a substantial podcast podcast audience, is a drop in the bucket compared to the size of YouTube and, and you know and what a substantial YouTube audience looks like. And so sitting here as we record, I'm at like 5,000 or 5,500 subscribers, which I am overjoyed by. But that means I'm like barely over the bottom of <laughs> the bottom rung of YouTube you know, creators. And so it's been interesting trying to learn all the tricks of the trade that I just wasn't familiar with. So something as simple as a title card, yeah, that's obvious, you know, having a nice thumbnail image for your title, that's obvious, but A, it's not something that comes naturally to me, like I'm not visually creative in that sense, but B, I didn't really have one for the first few because I didn't even know what to do. And for my most recent one, I just took a kind of amusing, slightly embarrassing uh, photo or or still of me gesturing during the video that I thought would be hopefully enough, attention grabbing enough that maybe it would get people to look. But that's one of the things I want to improve for future videos is figuring out a better way to do these, you know, title cards and and adding, you know, the stuff at the end, which I always thumbed my nose at it like, oh, God, these these gross things at the end where they show, look at my other videos and click here to subscribe. And here it is. And my most recent one, I did it and it seems to have made a difference. You know, that's why people do it. And so uh, it's been interesting trying to learn the tricks of the trade years after so many people have discovered them. And to do to do so without really having a strong like like guide, you know, I, I have acquaintances and friends that do that are successful on YouTube. I mean, I I know CGP Gray, for example, but 
I don't pester CGP Grey on the uh, on you know regularly about hey hey tell me about title cards you know I feel mm-hmm. like if I'm going to ask CGP Grey a question it better count and and you're right that Marco and John have been giving me extremely good advice with regard to production and things like that and I've gotten some excellent advice from Stephen Hackett whose channel is called Five Twelve Pixels and Mike Hurley who has dabbled with YouTube on and off. Um, and I believe his channel is Mike Hurley. I wish he'd kept going. Yeah, me too. I actually was just talking to him about that the other day. But I've gotten some great advice from them. But it's, some of this is still stuff, just stuff I need to learn on my own or for myself. And it's been frustrating but wonderful at the same time because it annoys me that I'm not immediately good at it. But I'm also really flexing some muscles I didn't have i've never really flexed before and that's what makes it tremendous tremendous fun well that was a bit of my goal with this show or things that i create or it still is a goal is that i find that a lot of the content about creating especially on youtube has this salesman marketing feel to it like yes. it's like yes, how yes, to yes. how to get rich and how to write titles that are clickbait and just this feeling of like um yeah, it's like it's like self-help books that the Merlin Mans of self-help are few and far between. <laughs> um, and most of them are a lot, you know, kind of flashier and the cover of the book is throwing money around. Same thing with the YouTube world uh, that a lot of the people they get focused on talking about creating. There's this kind of cheeseball aspect to it. And so I, I really want to have a bit more of an honest conversation of what it's really like and be a bit of a resource for that. So, I mean, if you ever need somebody to pester, um, I'm, I'm more than willing and same, same goes for listeners. I mean, like I absolutely was desperate for this resource as I've been growing. And I, I guess I still am because there's always more, always more to learn, but um, I know that feeling. And I also want to say when you're talking about uh, the podcast numbers versus subscriber numbers, and you're saying you're at 5,000, doesn't feel big enough. Honestly, one podcast listener is worth 10 YouTube subscribers. Uh, in terms of how likely they are to show up again, <laughs> because um, <laughs> su- subscriber numbers on YouTube, again, CGP has complained about this, but like that there can, it, it doesn't represent views very well. The YouTube algorithm doesn't really feed people videos from p- their, from the people they subscribe to very much. So, so I'm a little over a hundred thousand subscribers now, but there'll still be videos that I can release that take a long time to ever get to 10,000 views which is, you know, mm-hmm. 10% of my audience. Whereas with the podcast, I know that the amount of people that listened last week, they'll probably be back next week. Um, and so yeah, th- there yeah, can yeah. be this really different feeling about about what that number really means. Yeah, it's just, it's been interesting. And, you know, in a fantasy world, I think it would be tremendous to be able to just create for a living. And as much as I was, you know, being a little snide about it earlier, you know, to, to genu- genuinely be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, you are a creator and more, not that being a podcaster is not creating, but I feel like, you know, diversifying in, in, in my creations would be cool. And it would be awesome to be able to say, you know, once a month consistently or once every fortnight or once a week, even I'm going to have access to a car, film it, edit it, produce it, et cetera, and, and upload it and have enough of an audience that that's making a non-trivial contribution to my family's financial world. And I'm not there yet. You also have one of the biggest advantages of being able to speak clearly and express <laughs> yourself. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of people never develop on YouTube, uh, even if they have, you know, say a great visual style. Like I've seen some photographers or filmmakers that can't quite 
make YouTube work for them because they're not comfortable speaking in front of a camera or they can't really speak extemporaneously or just not fumble their words, which I happen to do all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, it, you know, it, it can be – that's – Probably the biggest challenge is being able to express yourself clearly. So having that skill is a is a huge advantage for you already. Yeah, and I appreciate it. And and I think you're right. Uh, it, it's like I said, in so many ways, I am uniquely advantaged to to make this happen instantly. And I am also very much starting from ground zero at a time when many other people have figured out YouTube in general, and many other people have figured out how to do you know car reviews on YouTube and. And so it is a crowded market that is hard to stand taller than your peers. But I do think I offer a unique perspective in the sense that I am a, a pretty big technology nerd in the sense that I'm a dad. And I, I don't know if I would say I've leaned into that in my videos, but I certainly have not shied away from it. Whereas most of the other videos, the car videos you see are all like more power, burnout, draw, you mm -hmm. know, and, and not all of some of my videos are that, but not all of it. And, and, you know, I try with pretty much every car to include a, you know, a time lapse of me installing a car seat. So you can kind of judge for yourself, like, is this a nightmare or is this okay? And I'm actually trying to get a hold of um, some family cars because even though those don't really uh, prepare yourself for a terrible dad joke, even though those don't really rev my engine as much, hey -oh, as uh, as some of these cars do, um, it's I think that's useful commentary. And it's useful to hear someone who is a nerd and who is a dad, but also likes to drive like, kind of a jerk to hear what it's like to have, you know, the, the, the family car of today. So I don't know if that's going to work out or not, but no, I think you're exactly on the right path. I mean, if I could give you like the biggest piece of advice I'd give you is, uh, something I guess you're already doing, uh, and that's to appeal to regular people. Um, same as you were asking, you know, how did I end up at an Apple event? Yeah. It's because I'm not only talking to tech people, you know, people that are already reading every single car article, they don't necessarily need another person reviewing it. What I feel like when I'm shopping for cars as somebody that doesn't have a lot of car knowledge is I, I want to hear from people that don't, they're not only concerned about the size of the engine and the sound that it makes. And yeah. if, if you can become that voice for the every person, for, for the average consumer, it's, it's really helpful. It's a much bigger mm. audience. It's a much bigger market. And I think we appreciate... Somebody that uh, it doesn't feel like you're being talked down to. Because when I read a lot of the reviews from, say, in Car and Driver or whatever, and they're, all the comparisons are to much more expensive cars or handling that I'm never going to experience or that wasn't <laughs> ever going to be part of my consideration anyway. Like, these aren't the things that I'm worried about when I'm buying an SUV. Sure. So hearing from drivers that, uh, you know, are comparing it to sports cars in their mind, that isn't really helpful to me. Like, I want to know, like, what is this like? For somebody that just lives life like I do. Uh, so, yep. I, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely, you're totally on the right track and I know it's going to work out great for you. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate your offer for help because I will definitely take you up on that. It's just, it's such a fun time to be able to create on the internet. Like whether your audience is, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 or a million, it's such a fun time to be able to do it. And there are problems with it. You know, YouTube trolls are a great example. And I've seen some really 
uncalled for nasty comments on my videos. And then I've also seen some comments that are nasty, but funny. So, you know, you win some, you lose <laughs> yeah. some, but, um, and I'll certainly plenty of really genuinely supportive and, and wonderful comments as well. Uh, they just don't tend to stick with me and most people as, as much as the, as the ugly ones do. But nevertheless, it's such a great time to be able to do this. I mean, if you think about it, I just told you at the beginning of this episode that I quit my jobby job. I quit my regular job so I could create. And, you know, that is that is an unbelievably amazing thing that even my parents, I don't think, could in a million years have expected that to be true for them and probably not even their children. You know, they're probably I haven't talked to my parents too much about it, but they're probably pretty darn surprised that I can make a living just creating things for other people to consume. And how lucky are am I and you, you know, both of us, how lucky are us to be able to do this? And so it's just a wonderful time to be able to try this and to be able to be to kind of bring this full circle, the MKBHDs of the world, you know, he got started when he was what, like eight, 12, 13 or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And, and I mean, obviously his videos then were very different than they are now. And let me tell you how annoying and humbling it is to watch his car videos because they are at a whole other level. But, you know, he has a staff of like six doing them with him, whereas it's just little old me, generally speaking, for these. But nevertheless, the point I'm driving at is, you know, you could be an MKBHD and be an eight-year-old or whatever it was filming tech reviews and then fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years and be, to my eyes, one of the premier technology reviewers today at yeah. 23 or 25 years old, however old, however old he is now. So what a great time to be able to do and try this sort of thing. Now, I still think that every day that it's incredibly weird that this can be a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Strange times, but, um, you know. Interesting and exciting because it means that all you have to do is is do it yourself. You know, you just have to make the decision. You don't need to wait for permission. So that's probably my yeah. favorite thing about it. Yeah, exactly right. And you can do it with the stuff you have. I mean, if you look at my videos, yes, I've used a GoPro, but in a pinch, I could have just used my iPhone. So basically, any of the shots where I'm in it or if you see an exterior of the car, like I'm panning and doing B-roll, that's my iPhone filming that. Now, yeah. I might have it in a $150 gimbal, but... It's my iPhone. And so if you look at it at, you know, if you do, if you get yourself a $150 gimbal and I would argue, you know, some sort of lavalier mic, I think mine was like 200 bucks. So for 350 bucks of added expense on top of the thing I would have already had anyway, suddenly, well, and I guess actually Final Cut Pro is $200, which is kind of ridiculous. But anyway, you get my point, right? That you don't have to spend $3,000 on a camera and $2,000 on a lens. Should I do that? Well, yes, probably, but I'm, not, I'm not, not making that kind of money on it. So, you know, you don't have to do that. You can just use your phone intelligently and maybe with an accessory or two, and you can start cre creating what I think of is maybe not world-class content, but at least good content, you know, that, that maybe won't show up on terrestrial television tomorrow, but wouldn't necessarily look completely out of place either. And that's basically with just your phone and a couple other pieces of equipment. Well, Casey, I hope you've inspired at least one person to pick up their phone today and go make a YouTube video. <laughs> you should. And you should. I, uh, I really appreciate that you came on the episode. Everybody's got a lot of homework to do after this because there's a, a lot of videos you got to go watch. <laughs> now, now get the context and watch all of Casey's videos and, uh, Smash that button. Smash that button, as they yes, say. Yeah. No, but Tyler, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much, Casey. This has been a blast. And uh, yeah, if, anytime you get bored and, and uh, need me to interview you about something, you just let me know. I'm, I'm here, ready, and waiting. <laughs>